All right, welcome to Spotlight on Science. Uh, my name is Franklin Lewis. I'm a writer with the News Desk. I'm here with my co-host. Becky Hogan. I'm a science writer on the Arts and Culture Desk. And we are here to bring you the latest and greatest in current science topics. Um, and remember to please suggest topics for us in the comments section um, and on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you listen to this podcast. Um, we've got a great lineup for you today. Where, uh, we missed uh, National Women in Science Day. Um, not sure when this podcast will end up coming out, but uh, it'll. It was in the in the news, so we're going to talk about that a bit. There's a lot of cool stuff happening around the country and on campus um, that are relevant to that issue. Um, and women in science in general is a, it's a large issue and a good issue to cover. Um, we're also going to talk about the measles outbreak, um, some other fun topics, uh, new history of autism. Uh, we'll get to all of that, but let's first start with the big topic um, of the podcast, which is the um, issue of women in science. Uh, National Women in Science Day was um, Tuesday, uh, February twelfth, uh, and there, I think you know Becky is great to be able to talk about some of these issues because she herself is a woman in the science profession. Um, so, I mean, Becky, some of the questions I even had for you um, were: had, Do you have you experienced some of these stigmas that? surround women in science professions? Um, I haven't really experienced too much with direct stigma, but I think I have grown into this culture um, where women kind of need to check themselves a little more before they talk about different scientific issues. Um, because we're worried about being illegitimized. And so I think that is something that a lot of women face is that they might not feel as comfortable talking and knowing their shit as much as other people, um, as much as men, uh, their male counterparts and stuff. And also growing up, I just didn't see as many people that looked like me in the sciences. Right. Uh, I was honestly very lucky that my mom is a computer engineer. And so she taught me to be a strong STEM woman. But I know a lot of my friends did not really get to see very many uh, women in STEM growing up. And so that really affected where they thought they could be. Um, and I did have an experience where a professor told me I shouldn't go into sciences, um, but it was a she. <laughs> so that was, that would possibly a different situation, but I don't know. She had some other weird sexism stuff going on. She hmm. would like separate the boys and the girls to have a girl chat or something. I don't know. She was, she a, had some, she had some other stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. She was a weird middle school teacher, but, um, I was also lucky to be a part of some programs like seventh grade. Um, There was a girls program where we got to study for a week at the dorms in Stanford Mm. and uh, study a certain STEM topic that we focused on. So there are a lot of programs that are working to encourage more women to go into the sciences, which is good because I found this statistic that said that 40% of men who took a STEM major ended up going into the STEM fields, but only 27% of women who were STEM majors ended up going into STEM mm-hmm. fields. So even if you get to, the, get to the point where they're actually a major in it, it doesn't guarantee that they're actually going to end up being 
in the profession. And I might accidentally be one of those people that might not. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm probably going to be a weird combination of things because I'm into journalism too. But um, I think that it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting situation. It's an interesting problem that um, I think society experiences well, it's right kind now. Of a, yeah, it's an interesting, um, and sometimes, I mean, obviously it's an uncomfortable issue for a lot of people on both sides, but it's especially, I think, uncomfortable for um, a lot of science people because they kind of consider themselves as like maybe like progressive or they consider themselves intellectual or whatnot. And then when they see these statistics come out that, that you know, between 17% and 50% of female science and medical students have experienced sexual harassment, it's like, they kind of, it's almost like you, what, what, we're, we're so much better than that. Like we're the ones who are on the cutting edge of all this stuff. And yet the same, same, um, societal issues are happening in our field. Um, it's kind of tough to like realize that. And it, it might be kind of difficult for some people to hear, but it's a really big issue and it's happening. Um, and so there, you, you do bring up some, some great points that there is a lot being done to, uh, combat it and kind of change again. It's not just about um, changing certain people's attitudes, changing the, the, the societal norms and the kind of complexes that are inherent in, in mm-hmm. um, the institutional systems that kind of set up for this stuff. Yeah, um, and also um, only 30% of women, or only 30% of STEM people, like professionals, are women. So there's still a huge um, minority, women are a huge minority in that field. And I think that there's probably also um, a bit of a, a nervousness to report if there is any harassment mm. because you want to be taken seriously as a scientist. Mm. You don't want to be um, degraded down to uh, just sexism in a nutshell. So I think there's, I would not be surprised if there is a lot of. Um, hesitation to talk about these issues in the STEM field because women don't want that to be the focus. They want their work to be the focus. Exactly. And I think, yes, it's going to take some uh, courage, I think, from from a lot of people to, I think, for men to admit that this stuff goes on and to really do, to take it upon themselves to change stuff um, because they're the ones in position of power right now. Um, and then some women to step up and, and admit that this stuff is happening and, and, and speak up. Um, yeah. And that'll just only, that's all, stuff's only positive, will only help the issue. So, and there's also, I mean, this kind of goes back historically too. There's a lot, been a lot of scientific discoveries that have either women have taken part in or women have been in the forefront of, dis, of discovering a certain concept or breakthrough. Um, and then they don't end up getting credit for it too. Um, I mean, the DNA structure is a perfect example of like Rosalind Franklin is essentially the, one who really did the, um, the, the, really the most of the work to kind of figure mm-hmm. out the structure. Um, yet the, the names most people associate with the structure is Francis Crick and James Watson, which is, you know, they were instrumental in terms of kind of putting the pieces together. But, um, I think, yeah, I think even, uh, she, what I think she got the Nobel prize, like after she well after she well after she died so yeah um that was kind of a you know there's a, it's a big issue and this is a lot of discoveries you can go look up um that yeah like that another example that i think of is um rachel carson she like she is credited with a lot of the stuff work that she did but there were people who they don't even call her 
doctor. Like they don't they don't use the pronoun or the uh, not pronoun the sir. Yeah, the prefix. Yeah, the prefix. But... Thank you. Um, they'll they'll say doctor so and so if it's a male. I'm not sure if it's a prefix, but just get, pretend it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, the title. There yeah. we go. Um, they'll say doctor so and so as a male, and then if they want to like knock women down a notch, and they'll just say Ms. Carson or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And there's been several records of her getting knocked down with that. I remember third grade in a Girl Scout meeting being taught of all these women who um, invented these things and then the inventions were taken from them by men or they had to go under a uh, a different name to get mm. their work published. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, there's also I mean there's also stuff out there about you know the women and women in science fields have to kind of uh, like dre- you know dress professionally versus like kind of allowing them to express themselves in a way, I guess I've, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of issues with that. Um, I mean, it's just kind of, it's an odd, um, odd thing for the science field to, that, that this, this stuff is happening in a field that is so dominated by progressive and kind of open-minded people. So, um, it's definitely an issue and it's important that we're talking about it. Yeah. And, um, there's one person that was brought up by science magazine as being turning into kind of the head of um a lot of the uh me too movement mm. in the stem program yeah. so there actually is a website called me stem.com and then there's also this woman who um is a neuroscientist and she became kind of the face of this uh movement um and let's see her name is uh beth ann mclaughlin so that's uh, she's kicking butt in this field, which is really cool. And talking about her own experience and her experience of her colleagues um, being sexually harassed in the industry. Mm, yeah, check out the great art. It's a great article on uh, sciencemag.org by Meredith Wadman that talks that profiles her. And it's a really interesting look at kind of the stuff that she's doing, the strategies she used, she's using to raise awareness about these issues, and a little bit about her background too, which actually I found pretty interesting as well there's a lot of a lot of people doing a lot of good out there but it, it you know it's going to take everyone kind of pitching in to combat this issue. yeah we still definitely have a long ways to go but it's good to see that there's progress definitely um well we can we're transitioning away um to maybe a more uh current event topic um and hopefully this maybe is wrapped up by the time this podcast comes out but uh the measles outbreak is gripping the country and who knew that, you know, it? that's how civilization would end is with a measles outbreak. Oh <laughs> At least that's what it feels like, right? Um, <laughs> anyway, the, there's kind of issues. It's not just in the Pacific Northwest. There's also issues in Europe right now. But let's focus right now on the Pacific Northwest issue, um, the outbreak. And a lot of this, again, as you've probably heard already, it's just get vaccinated. That's pretty much the only the, the recommendation that everyone keeps telling people to do. If you look up um, the like measles, you know, if you look up measles, it's just on WebMD or um, uh, uh, what's the other, Mayo Clinic. The, the Literally the treatment, the first thing they list is just get vaccinated. And there's like maybe two other things they list. <laughs> it basically is like, if you get vaccinated, you are pretty much in the clear. Yet. We have hit Frankie's yet, yet. Some of these outbreaks um, in Washington right now, for example, 
one of their counties that has a really bad outbreak right now, the vaccination rates are below 40%. As in 40, as in 40, below 40% of kids are getting vaccinated, which is to me is absurd. I can't, I, I just cannot fathom why is it really like people are really worried about autism that why like there's many different reasons why people choose not to get vaccinated there's it's like a western medicine thing like okay so there's the western medicine idea which is basically like we're not going to subscribe to that there's people who are like oh it's our choice whether or not we choose to have our children vaccinated we choose what goes into our child's body kind of thing and of course the argument against it is okay but you're also hurting other children's bodies by doing that right and then um there's just the the false pseudoscience that uh vaccinations lead to other problems such as autism which there have been many studies to disprove and i think this is partially a communication issue like i think really it is it's because there are a lot of people who are getting their facts from really questionable sites on the internet and i think the spread of the internet has led uh has helped a spread of distrust in the scientific community and so people need to check where they're getting their facts from whether or not it's a reputable source who's funding it all that kind of stuff and trust the scientists who have been studying for years and years on this you're not going to know more than a scientist who has been working working on this their whole life yeah it's perfectly fine to be like critical of a source like that's actually healthy to be critical but you should be like know when to like trust something you know it's like don't like like okay everything checks out so they must be hiding something else it's like okay just like take it for what it is like these people are literally being paid like their only job is to find out and because the thing is like i think that one of the big misconceptions people have as scientists is that most scientists do not do not care what their result is they're just interested in testing stuff Mm -hmm. like that's their job they're not interested in producing a certain result i'm sure many scientists would like to have certain results happen and but these scientists who are or, uh, these people who think that like oh you know like science is lying to us and that you know the vaccinations do cause autism and 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 like I don't want my kid to, to to experience that because I can see through the charade of this thing it's like well it's like a a like why would people want your kid getting autism like why would why would people want you to do that like if 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 scientists really thought that vaccinations uh, triggered autism like they obviously wouldn't give them out. Yeah, it's so, not a conspiracy against you right. and your children. Yeah, I think it's a whole like, it's a whole like culture around in like YouTube and stuff where it's, like people are just obsessed with these like crazy conspiracy theories, which like I'm guilty of sometimes in terms of like aliens and like Egyptian pyramids. But for and shits stuff. and giggles, like right as like a fun joke thing, yeah. like watch ancient aliens like for fun. But <laughs> I love those guys. But like, don't actually take it seriously and like live your life by it. Like, what are you freaking doing? So. Yeah, and and there's also some issues too with like uh, in Europe, for example, there's um, actually like faulty vaccines or like fake vaccines that are being issued to people, and that's what's causing the the outbreak as well. So there's just a whole bunch of things. I mean, this measles, it just to put it in perspective, was pretty much like eradicated as of what like. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, something like that. We were so close. Yeah. It was, 
yeah, it was vaccine rates around 90 to 95% are generally to prevent the outbreak. Like, it, it, we were yeah. so close to being done with this problem. <laughs> yeah, so, it's, I mean, that's the other thing, too, is, like, once, you, if you get everyone vaccinated, like, the, then there's certain people who literally, like, for health reasons, cannot actually get vaccinated because they have immune deficiency system or something's wrong with their body that doesn't allow them to get vaccinated. Like, those people can't get vaccinated. But if everyone around them is vaccinated... Um, it's like a herd mentality so those those people will actually protect that person from getting the illness Mm -hmm. so it helps not just yourself you're actually being selfish because you're not helping other people by not getting vaccinated yeah like Um, elderly sick newborn babies exactly so that's that's what you're hurting so when you choose not to get vaccinated it's actually you're you're hurting not only yourself you're hurting other people in the community around you so please for the love of god get vaccinated (laughs) Um, and I think, I think got to hit even, system, yeah, I think you did too. <laughs> um, but to get even closer to home, there have been also occurrences in Portland as well. It's starting to head down towards us. So if you have not gotten vaccinated, please just get vaccinated. It's, it's a little bit of a pain, but it's way less than a potentially like deadly uh, vi- virus like measles if, is not a joke if you're out there and you, you're not vaccinated um, I will literally give you a dollar I'll just show, shoot me a venue I'll Venmo you a dollar if you get vaccinated for measles like give me a break so uh, we'll buy you doco I will <laughs> give you some doco um, anyway so uh, not a really poor transition but um, <laughs> I can't I can't do it <laughs> Okay, speaking of things to. that vaccines do not cause, yeah. now we're going to talk about autism. Um, <laughs> it was good. It was good. Okay. <laughs> so, um, there is on Around the O, there was a new article published uh, talking about a project called the Autism History Project, which dives into the research on um, the history of autism and presents a timeline on the different scientific findings over the several years of autism. And I think that it is a very interesting, another example of interdisciplinary research, honestly, because it's, it's one of those things that um, it's where history and science kind of go together. You need mm. historians to help capture this information, but then you also need scientists to confirm the science. And so it's a uh, really cool research that is being done to kind of close this gap on, um, on, on such an important issue that a lot of, oh, I wouldn't call it issue, a very important um, distinction of individuals that a lot of people know someone who are connected to it. Yeah, well, I think it also helps to kind of show that this autism is a spectrum versus just like kind of a black or white issue, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's they're kind of highlighting people who may have been on the spectrum um, and have contributed to a, uh, some aspect of society that, that was really valuable. Um, I think also, as you hit on a great point, that the, the connections between history and science and just kind of the liberal arts and science in general is actually a you know, it's a huge issue that we don't really focus on, um, but it's really important to have that um, interaction because it, it they, they inform each other. Like the science will kind of inform 
some of the creative minds who are in those fields to say, oh, you know, this this is kind of an interesting discovery. What does that mean about this kind of topic or uh, thing that I'm writing on or thing I'm researching? Versus like, and the his, his, uh, creative minds in history and literature can kind of then inform scientists and say, oh, like that was kind of a really creative thought they had or that poem kind of inspired me or this work of this is historical book actually inspired me to do some kind of research. So um, there's actually there a lot of interplay there. I, I think I did a podcast with Barbara Mossberg who talked a lot about that. So go listen to that if you're curious more on that connection yeah. too. And the name um, is, of the historian at UO is um, Ellen Herman. So you can learn more about her research at her the Autism History Project's website or also on Around the O. They have a great article that talks about um, the basis of her research. Our last topic, um, and the, easily the most important, I feel like we're, if, I'm good for like one of these every podcast, I feel like, but... Yeah, uh, for the shits and giggles the, the This segment, we were I'm looking for a for sponsor. <laughs> we should have a sponsor for the shits and giggles segment, actually. But, yeah. <laughs> um, the shits and giggles segment brought to you by, yeah. Um, but three researchers, or three bees researchers, swallowed Legos for science. Uh, this is an article um, on science news for students. Um, in light of the, uh, the Lego Movie 2 coming out, um, some researchers wanted to figure out, hey, if you swallow a Lego, will it actually be digested or will it just kind of pass through you? Um, and they literally dug through their own poo to find Legos that they had swallowed. Um, they used, you know, the, the direct quote from the article, everyone used different techniques, chopsticks, forks. Some people put it in Ziploc bags and squished it around. Just finding the toy was important. And that's the dedication to science that I love, <laughs> love to see. This is like a 2.0 of the Tide Pod <laughs> challenge. Please don't try this. Like, it actually, it's probably nowhere near as bad as the Tide Pod challenge. Yeah, but... no, it's fine. They they pass right through your system, and you're good. You just you just poop it out, and then you can <laughs> find it. You know, either using whatever creative method you come up with. Mm-hmm. I'm a full endorser of this personally. I mean, there's what could go wrong? I guess nothing. I mean, I just don't choke on it. But like, you know, other than that. Each, this, each they, you get to keep a poop diary. This is my. This you get is, to keep a poop diary. Who doesn't want to keep a poop diary? For some reason, my mind goes to, and this is our humanity's relation to plastic. I love this article. They, the doctors collected their poop and hunted for a familiar-looking yellow smiley face. God, oh that's God. so bad. You know, my um, my mom used to put Legos in soap to try to get my brother to wash his hands so that he could get a reward really? afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. parents, if you need an inspiration to get their children to wash hands, stick a toy in a makeshift soap uh, <laughs> bar. <laughs> I mean, it's great. I wonder how Lego feels about this. Yeah, is this? I wonder if this is like, it doesn't look like it's sponsored content, but... That would be kind say. of a that'd be kind of a flex, like, hey, what however you get your funding, like if if Lego movie wants to pay some scientists to swallow some Legos, like, hey, you know, cut the check. I'm I'm here. Yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> um that is all the time we have though for today. Um again, thank you for listening. I'm Frank and Lewis. And I'm Becky Hogue. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>